0: Ledyard whips it up through center. LaFontaine's got a breakaway. Here's LaFontaine going right in on goal score. Oh, tis the season. Fala la 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 Fontaine. And it's four to two Buffalo.
1: So Don, I have a a potentially damaging fading passion. What's that? Fantasy football.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, this is gonna be one of your one last things, I think, a while ago.
1: I feel it slipping away from me. Yeah. I I think I saw Matthew Barry make this point during his book tour, which didn't include us. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I tried to get it to include us. So maybe that's part of my grumpiness towards it. Uh he mentioned how for a long time fantasy football players suffered in the shadows we were this group of nerds in the corner playing this game somewhat anonymously and that got less and less true every year but for this this year it feels like it's finally busted down the door and it's just too in my face and when it comes to the NFL and football my number one love is always going to be the Saints Okay. What happens to the Saints each week is always going to trump what my fantasy team does regardless of how many leagues or how much money I've gambled on it. Now maybe if I were to join some $10,000 league in Vegas, I might be able to hope that Tony Romo throws a garbage touchdown to Des Bryant in the fading seconds of a blowout Saints win to help my fantasy team. But it's things like a guy like Marcus Colston, a guy who I hold very, very dear to my heart, a guy I love so much that I named my firstborn puppy after him. (laughs) It's a guy like him who for seven seasons has done nothing but show up week after week after week for fantasy teams, always being a consistent, not superstar in the fantasy world, but a consistent number two wide receiver. A guy like him has one bad month in a season. Three games where he gets only one fantasy point in nine PPRs and one week where he's injured for everyone to drop him. Yeah. For him to be said he's no longer fantasy relevant. And maybe to me, I'm just out. And you know what? I can't stand the text messages anymore. Midway through the Saints game from sproles owners wondering why he's not a part (laughs) of the offense and then i look down and he's got the most touches on the whole team and i just want to say piss off man leave me alone i don't know i just i'm out i think i'm out
2: yeah uh I wouldn't watch the NFL, I don't think, if it wasn't for fantasy football. Uh, the Bills have been bad for so long. It's been hard to care about them. They're, they're more interesting this year by a long shot, but Monday night's Dolphins-Buccaneers game, I didn't watch a second of it because I didn't have any fantasy players playing. Uh, I can point to probably five games. Texans-Cardinals, who cares? Bengals, well, no, that's actually a good game. Uh, Raiders-Giants, other than the fact that the NFC what is it, East is so terrible, those teams are both irrelevant. Jags, Titans, don't care. Uh, I could go
1: on and on like this. But there's no need to care about those games. There was plenty of others being played. The only time I think that potential argument holds up is on the night games because oftentimes you will watch a night game that you would often dismiss. Right, And maybe this is just a perfect storm year for me in the sense that I drafted a team that ESPN.com said was going to be the best team in your league, that everyone else was playing for second, <laughs> and they started one and six. Yeah. And then I had a team, my most expensive league, where I felt like I did everything right, and I put myself in a great position. I made a great trade. And then in one week, I lost Randall Cobb and Reggie Wayne and Doug Martin to IR. And then I picked up Doug Martin's replacement, who looked like he was going to do great, and Mike James and now he's gone to IR and that team's in the shitter and all the stuff I said about the Saints and I don't know we need to I need to get Fabiano on here cuz he's got to talk me off the ledge cuz I just feel like I just don't even want to be in any leagues next year Yeah, I think if if
2: I don't know, maybe I'm just not a big enough sports fan. If I if I didn't have local teams and fantasy sports, I don't think I'd watch much sports at all. I'm just not that interested. Most games just aren't that good. Like the Seahawks Falcons, was that a good game? No. I mean, what was the best game of the week this past week? Maybe Bengals Ravens, and even that was kind of boring. You know, I watched the game. It was a tight game. It went to overtime, but it wasn't particularly good. And the biggest play in the game was a gigantic
1: mistake by a corner. Well, I guess the difference between me and you is that the best game every week is always going to be the one that my team plays, and that even sure. held true when my team was bad for a long stretch. I guess maybe I don't I don't want to say you're not a big enough fan but your team is at a long stretch stretch of poor See, play. See my team's had a stretch of and mediocrity, you The Saints uh from 1996 to 2000, I mean that's Well, right, right, right. 5 years of miserable miserable teams, the whole Dicka era. I mean the Right.
2: And the Saints though before that were like miserable. So I mean I think they almost got to the point of like lovable losers, the Aints and all that. So the Bills Weren't that they were just kind of a middle of the road boring team, and now they're. I think they're coming through that after. I mean, they had all the years of success, and then they've just been boring. uh What was I going to root for on those lousy teams? I mean, I don't. I don't know. I wanted him to win, but I couldn't care. I couldn't get. I wasn't going to go out and run out and buy a Todd Collins jersey. So. Well.
1: Anyway, welcome to the Sportscasters, Season Three, Episode Thirty-Three. It is November Thirteenth, two thousand and three. One day after eleven, twelve, thirteen. What did you do to celebrate that? Did you 11, get married?
2: 13? No, no, no. Why did that happen a lot? I yeah, I heard did. there was
1: a huge, uh, huge run to the altar for a big a bunch of dummies Tuesday wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> eleven, twelve, thirteen. We have an amazing show for you today. I'm uh, host, Steve Bennett, co-host Don Russ over there, the former co-host for eight years of the Howard Stern Show and the current host of the Artie Lang Show. Now a two-time best-selling New York Times author, Artie Lang is going to join us on the podcast today. Couldn't be more excited and privileged to be able to bring that interview to you. And also a guy that we couldn't be more proud of, a guy who started much like us back in 2006 in a bedroom in Toronto recording a podcast called The Basketball Jones that eventually became simulcast on Grantland and now is the Starters podcast that airs every day on NBA TV. Our friend Tass Mellis is going to be on to talk about what's been going on in the NBA season. Now about eight games in and Don and I will admit to him that we've seen zero seconds of those eight games collectively for each team. At That's, least I have i have no, I haven't, have I haven't seen anything. as well
2: like I said, the only thing I heard about the n b a was that uh the heat lost the first game, and people
1: freaked out but uh the I've recorded this interview and I will tell you we pulled I pulled it off okay, so <laughs> if, if you're an NBA fan tuning in and you're like, wait a minute, why would I want to hear this guy who knows nothing about what's happened interview someone who so eloquently speaks about this league I love every day, I will encourage you to do it because I think that maybe there's a little bit of a different perspective on it. And uh, I think it was a great back and forth, so I, I hope you check it out. Uh, you can always find our work, today's uh, last week's, which featured interviews with Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet.ca uh, and um, the Merrick vs. Wyshynski podcast, and David Schumacher, Maker. Schumacher. Schumacher uh, from Grantland and his new book, which is part of our book club this month. Uh, My Life in Wrestling, uh, The History of Professional... The Squared Circle. Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling. Yes.
2: Yeah, I listened to that interview because last week you said you were worried about Hoff and you got his name wrong. I don't think you did it all in the interview, so... So I waited until today. (laughs) Yes, I think think today was the first time you may have gotten it wrong.
1: You can find that and you can also find our podcast next week, which will feature Katie Baker from Grantland live from Russia and the second... Installment of our Pearl Jam Superfan Series featuring former American League Cy Younglinger Jack McDowell. Sweet. Uh, that will be on our, our website, www.sports casters.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. We got Artie Lang, then we got the greatest of all time. We're going to do a book club update. We are going to interview Tas Mellis. One last thing let's start with three things. Let's play a game.
3: All right. Mm count of three one Alrighty,
1: righty i'll take it off two the oil patterns on a pva lane are very very difficult three i might be able to beat jamarcus russell at quarterback
3: <laughs> this is the funnest
0: night ever <laughs> did we just become best
3: friends yep now let's move on to other business
2: so the nfl rolls along uh Week
1: 11. You want to start with that? You don't want to go Oh right at yeah, the Sabres we,
2: here? That's right. We could. We'll get a little local here first. It, both of these might take us a little while. So. My, no, let's hit the Sabres. All right. Uh, Sabres, most people are going to say. Blew I saw, I, it up. I saw an interesting tweet. I don't remember from who. Maybe Jeremy White, a local guy here, who said, It's amazing how shocked we as a fan base can be about something that we thought was... Way overdue anyway. You know what I mean? Like, this is something that everyone thought had to happen, will eventually happen. When's it going to happen? Now that it happened, everyone's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it happened. You know what I mean? But uh Darcy I... Gear is out. The Gone. General manager of the Sabres, longest tenured general manager in the league, slightly outlasting uh, the longest coach in the league last year in Lindy Ruff. Uh, he is out. There's no current general manager. And with him is Ron Ralston, who uh, – I feel a little bad for yeah, him. Yeah, he put in a
1: an impossible spot.
2: Right. They they put him I mean the plan for this team is to lose to get a really good draft pick. They lose and
1: they It's Ron just Malston the inspired. case of a new regime bringing in a new guy and this happens all the time in sports. Ron Ralston was not Pat Lafontaine's guy, so Ron Ralston is gone.
2: Right. Uh, and in as you said is Pat Lafontaine long time saber local legend uh his
1: number hangs in the rafters at the arena
2: and bringing back with him is coach ted nolan who people hated the way he left and unceremoniously
1: run out of town
2: yeah won the coach of the year was offered then a one-year deal which he refused and technically resigned i guess would probably be the way to put it that uh, might
1: delay Hashik's number going to the rafters as we <laughs> talked about last week because there was a rumor floating around town that ted nolan's departure had something to do with his relationship with dominic, dominic Hashik, and we'll leave it at that
2: right uh Hasek, there are quotes not getting into any of the tmq side of it but there are quotes saying well you can you can search out old articles that have quotes of Hashik basically saying i i don't respect him at all so right uh they were very open about this. It's interesting that Nick Kiprios, who started like uh, blogosphere and local radio and call-in show, yeah, I was thinking we should
1: I should reach out to him. Yeah,
2: he started all this craziness maybe a month ago, saying that Darcy was on his way out. Uh, he turned out to be right. Yeah, that was bold. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> but uh, he has been here for 16 years, and I don't know how many of those were too long for some people. If I if,
1: start a report tomorrow that the Seahawks might be headed for the NFC playoffs, <laughs> do you think that will get credit for that when uh, they clinch? I uh, no, I don't. No.
2: Um if he was totally true or if his sources were true at the time, he su- he suggests Jason Botterell, ex mostly AHLer but did spend some time here in Buffalo now the kind of cap guru in Pittsburgh. He's technically the assistant GM. Uh He would be the next Sabres general manager. That's who he claimed at the time. He's not saying that now. Now you're hearing all sorts of rumors. There's a short list. Rick Dudley. Rick Dudley. I've heard uh, Mark Messier, and that wasn't from Pat LaFontaine, but he said on his short list was someone who had won Stanley Cups. Leon
1: Lett, I think, is on the list. He might be. He might be on the list. Founder of Arby's.
2: (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it's a long time coming. People here in Buffalo are...
1: Uh, shocked and excited. And well, here's here's my th- what I'll say about it. So everything that was going on with this team yesterday was horrible. Everything about it, right? It's horrible. The way that they would boldly proclaim we would be in the in the need to prepare for suffering, right? Was horrible. I hated that. The energy at the arena was horrible. Yesterday, for the fourth time this season, the Sabers were losing one to nothing. Before I either knew or remembered, they had a game that night. <laughs> Everything about it was just miserable, and then this morning you wake up to good news. The Fire Darcy tag on Facebook is done. They've fired Darcy. For the second year in a row, seemingly, they've done what the fans have asked, because it seemed like last year even during, the fans wanted Lindy fired. Even during the games they were winning, which hasn't been many this year, the
2: Fire Darcy chants could be heard in the crowd. So
1: Fire Darcy is done, and in his place is a new position. The position that Pat LaFontaine now holds didn't exist yesterday in this organization. Right, right. He says he's not qualified to be the GM. Uh, I think he is qualified to hire a GM. He says he knows people in the hockey world that he thinks are qualified for this position. I believe that. Sure. Yeah. And it seems like the way the organization has constructed itself, that extra position isn't going to create a too many Indians or too many chiefs. Yeah, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Scenario. I think that it'll be okay. I think he's a really level-headed, smart guy. In the Hockey Hall of Fame, a legend here and a good good face of the organization, and someone who's going to be much better at speaking to the media than Ted Black is, who's a disaster at it, just completely humiliating himself with the whole Pominville thing.
2: Yeah, Pat
1: Lafontaine is going to handle all that stuff much better than him.
2: Yeah, I Ted Black, I don't know if he still does it, but he used to do a weekly call in to the local sports. Hopefully show. not. And I like I liked his honesty, but as far yeah. as yeah, he has said. Some things that just haven't been overly tactful, uh, kind of foot in the mouth type things. And that when he, he says things back.
1: like teams don't honor former players, and then like four days later, the the Colts have this huge thing for Peyton Manning. Right, you just right. make the team look so foolish because you know for sure that other teams do do that. That wasn't the first time. What it is happened. his
2: president? He's the president. What president? What?
1: I guess he's the business guy, right? Okay, he, he's the head of the. Uh, business that is the Sabres and and now Pat Lafontaine is the head of the hockey hockey products. Okay, I'm fine with that. Okay, so and then the other thing is is they bring in Ted Nolan, who when he left, the mantra of the team was the hardest working team in hockey. Right. And if this team can be the hardest working team in hockey, it will be much easier to swallow the poor losing. 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 Yep. Okay. We could this blue collar town will be okay with losing if the team is working. Right. As hard as possible.
2: Yeah, I heard uh, an interview with Brad May on the way over here, and he said it, he was his favorite coach to ever play for. And if nothing else, they'll they'll get effort out of guys, and guys won't coast. And uh, that'll be interesting to see from the veteran
1: players, because the younger players. And he, why not keep Miller now? Especially if there's, yeah, I no, thought of that too. If there's, there's no trade value there, then so what? He's still plenty young enough. He's having a great season. Let him be the hashic to those other. 25 hard workers in front of him or whatever it is yeah i've
2: never been a huge miller guy i think i'm an apologist for him a little bit because people come out of the woodwork to bash him a little bit but uh i've always thought he's just a above average goalie who he, he can be great at times but yeah i would actually kind of agree with that now M- miller gets out from under the the shadow of rough and now we And it's a brand new start for him, too, and maybe they can convince him to stay. And like you were saying about Pat LaFontaine, he has these connections within the hockey industry, and everyone that I heard interviewed today said how he's one of the nicest, most respected guys in hockey. Like, nobody had a bad word to say. I mean, not that someone's going to say something bad, but... So, if nothing else, maybe Pat LaFontaine can convince a guy to come here, or... They talked about hockey heaven when Pagula took the team over, and they've been... Nowhere close to that, but I think this is all a step in the right direction.
1: And the number one thing to come out of today, the death of the word suffering and the birth of the word patience. Patience. And any fan in this town will tell you, we can be patient, but we don't, no one wanted to sign up for suffering. Right. You don't write $2,000 season ticket checks to suffer, but you are willing to write them in the exchange of patience for the day when you can go down there in shorts, in a t-shirt, in April to see, a to see a playoff game.
2: Right. Yeah, Mike Shope, who we've had on the podcast before, actually I think it was as soon as, like you said, yesterday, this was the worst thing going. He had a Twitter conversation going with his followers about what can the Sabres give back now to make it fun still. Like, And people were just soliciting crazy thoughts. Like someone said, vote for the starting lineup every night. The starting lineup's meaningless kind of anyway uh fans should be able to vote. Like, people were just suggesting things to make the arena experience fun because the product has been so decidedly not fun. And now, maybe that all changes. It'll be... What's crazy about this is this all comes on the eve, I guess, of their next game against Toronto, which is the first game since John Scott went after their superstar and Phil Kessel. So there was supposed to be fireworks for that. And every game against toronto has a lot of canadian fans and i imagine this one's going to have a ton because people were probably falling over themselves to try to sell their tickets for anything they could this year because of the product on the ice so i still expect that to be the case because i imagine anyone that was trying to sell them sold them already but uh i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that wish they had those tickets
1: back right now all right you want to do the football
2: yeah uh the nfl looking ahead this week uh what's What do we got here for the games of the week? Well, we got only
1: two buys this week. I know Dallas is one of them. I can't think off the top of my head who the other is. We're almost getting to the point where we're going to be done with buys now. Game of the week is the 49ers-Saints game. Uh, Probably. 425, it's the Fox game. Nationally, it's going to be in most markets, I think.
2: Well, okay, that... I guess there's a lot of people that can make the argument that the Sunday night game is the game of the week too. Uh, one loss between the two teams, Chiefs and the Broncos. Well, that's
1: the game of the week. Yeah,
2: yeah. I f- I fully expect. Was this flex? Can they flex? That games was flex. Okay, this is the first week they can flex, right?
1: And NBC or excuse me, uh, CBS had this game protected. Okay. So, but the league did something, <laughs> negotiated Over-ruled. with them somehow to let them flex it, because this would have been a one o'clock game that would have been seen by very. A very small percentage of the country, and now obviously will be seen by the whole country. All right, let's
2: let's talk about this game then. Since we're not going to hit on every game, we decided a few weeks ago that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do. But actually, there's three really good games. The Monday night game is really good too. If you think the Panthers are legit,
1: I would love. I, I'm I can't wait to see what happens with the Panthers. This biggest home game in Cam Newton's career. Show sure. uh, a huge huge game for them. I mean, this is the biggest home game for this era of the team and it'll be really interesting to see.
2: But going, Talking about Chiefs Broncos real quick, there's a lot of people out there if you uh, go online if you read Reddit uh, NFL sub forums, there's a lot of people out there that think the Chiefs, I don't know if they actually think this or just it's fun to pick on them by saying, but people say that the Chiefs are the, nine, the worst undefeated team, worst 9-0 team in league history Do you tend to fall more on that side or do you think they're the number one power ranked team in the league as a lot of
1: people if I, we've been talking about this for a few weeks. If, yeah. if we did a sportscaster's power rankings, there's no way the Chiefs would be number one. Right. But I don't know that they're bad enough to be an eight-point underdog in any game. Yeah. Even against Peyton on the road. I just yeah, don't that's know. that's true. And you know what? I think the Chiefs are set up to attack Peyton in a pretty interesting way in the sense that Peyton's banged up. He's got a bad ankle. He's going to be pretty statuesque out there. Right. And this team can get after it. And I would think that they're just going to bring it. They're going to bring it and bring it and bring it and bring it. And they're going to hit him and hit him again and hit him again. And then they're going to see where they can stand. And if Alex Smith can hold on to the ball and not make mistakes. And if Jamal Charles can break one off, maybe this is going to be a close game. I I probably think the Broncos are going to win. But if I had a hundred dollars given to me and was forced to bet it one way or another, I'd probably take the Chiefs plus eight.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, that said, I did see some sort of stat, and some of these stats can be twisted uh, to work for your argument, but someone said something like Peyton Manning in the second half of the season or in the playoffs, whenever he's faced a number one defense, is something like 3-3, three and three, and his numbers aren't all that impressive, and the Chiefs are technically the number one defense in the league right now. So it will be interesting to see uh, how that plays out, and this will be a banner week for the Chiefs supporters that have, been saying no they are legit i mean this is their first real test they can only i always kind of say they can only play the i mean this isn't my saying but you can only play the teams on your schedule so it's not like they were dodging teams or anything and they they've beaten the teams they've had to beat even though there's i don't think a winning team on their schedules miraculously so far but we'll see how they do in these next three weeks
1: they got Denver twice in the next three weeks one thing i'll say too is if they lose by 20 this week I don't know that that changes anything about what I think about them. Because right now I think Denver's better. Well, right. You know what I mean? This is a road game. Sure. In a tough place to play, the higher altitude.
2: What if they lose by, him, by 20 to them twice in the
1: next three weeks? Well, if they lose by 20 at home and Arrowhead to them, yeah, they're a fraud. I mean, but I'm not gonna overreact to this game, I guess, is what my point.
2: Yeah, I guess I wouldn't overreact to this game, but it's like going back to what I said about the Bills game. They should have lost the game to Jeff Toole. And they should have lost it somewhat handily, but they played Jeff Toole, who
1: handed the game to them. So uh Yeah, they, that game's an indictment on them for sure. Right. There's no good way to say that. That's a game
2: you win if you're a college team and you lose spots
1: in the in right. your ranking.
2: But yeah, uh what other games were we talking about? Uh, Saints
1: oh. Niners Saints, that was a a huge game for them. They took advantage of a team that's beat up in all the wrong places to face Drew Brees and the Saints' offense for sure. And it was a huge night for Rob Ryan and his defense. And It was just one of those nights. And the Saints are the ultimate home night team now. I mean, that's 12 straight wins at home in night games. So I'm not going to overreact to the win as a fan, but it was everything I wanted to see that team do times four. You know, it's like they hid the weakness of not being able to hide the to stop the run by just scoring so many points that you can't run. Right.
2: The forty nine is a really strange team to you at all this year. Really
1: strange. I don't have a read on them at all. I came in wanting to write them off. Then I really wanted to write them off after the Colts loss. Then they won a few games, it looked like they were maybe getting it back together, and then just nothing out of them.
2: Yeah, I mean if you're gonna rank a team, you have to do it based on the lineup as it's currently assembled. But I almost feel like you're getting the worst Colin Kaepernick this season than you've seen in the – I mean, he's got a short career. But Vernon
1: Davis is just so key for him. Yeah. I saw something 109 out of 190 targets have been to Davis or Bolden this year. Yeah, Michael
2: Crabtree's practicing, so I guess it would help if you ever got him back too. But he's a guy that really needs, I guess, some quality. Like A lot of guys, like you look at a Drew Brees who makes anonymous receivers – have
1: nice years. That's hard to do for a guy yeah. who hasn't even started 16 games yet.
2: Yeah, Kaepernick is is struggling and he's not running as much. So it's a strange team, but they are 6-3 and three and uh, probably on their way to a wild card. So
1: I would like to see the Bills beat the Jets this week. I'm not pleased with the Jets for manhandling the Saints the way they did. I don't want to see them in the playoffs because they're boring. And it would be nice for the Bills to knock them down a peg, and I think it would be good for the Bills and EJ. So I'd love to see that happen.
2: Yeah, I don't I didn't have a one last thing planned off the top of my head. I might I might hit the bills and EJ Manuel on this one. Uh Last week's game was the most was the worst game of the season for
1: me. Browns Bengals is really interesting cuz that sixth spot in the AFC is could be a 500 team Could basically. be a 500 yeah. and the Browns can certainly get themselves and that would be a sweep for the Browns over the Bengals yeah. if they can pull that off. Browns have such on a nice road,
2: a nice defense, but they, they they can't get anything out of their quarterbacks, running backs. I mean,
1: Josh Gordon's been a little bit of a bright spot, but and uh, it's a big day for Chip Kelly too. Eagles need to take the Redskins and put them down. Eagles need to win at home. Yeah, they're at home. Oh, and four at home. They're at home against a Redskins team that's one and four on the road, and they're playing a, a big boy quarterback this week, which they haven't done in a while. The, the Eagles have really they've gotten some breaks in the uh, opposing quarterback. Yeah, I think that's it. Maybe Chargers, Dolphins, and
2: uh, the Dolphins. Any. I mean, what hurts the legitimacy or the excitement that might have surrounded this game is the fact that if the Dolphins were for real, you can't go out on national TV and lose to Tampa Bay. Uh, they're 4-5 and five now. Like you said, a 500 team might might creep in, like a 9-7-ish and team might creep into the playoffs in the AFC, but, boy, they, were they uninspiring
1: against Tampa, a team that has looked terrible all year. Well, quick third thing for me this week It looks like college basketball is going to have one hell of a season. And it started last night in Chicago with the 2013 Champions Classic. They had two pretty incredible games. They had Michigan State playing Kentucky and Kansas playing Duke. Uh, The Kansas and Duke game was the second game. And with about three minutes left, it was a one-point game. Kansas did pull away sort of at the end. But we got to see Jabari Parker... Andrew Wiggins just kind of showed the nation that they're maybe the two most exciting freshmen to hit college basketball in a long time, and that's not even taking anything away from James Young and so many of the other really great players that were on the court. So I guess I'm just saying in a really small, concise way that we haven't forgot about college basketball. They're going to have a really exciting season, and I'm sure Luke Wynn is going to be in here to tell us all about it really soon.
2: My third thing this week is football-related, but it has to do with more off-the-field issues, and that's uh, JerMichael Finley.
1: He now, yeah, this is kind of sad, actually.
2: Yeah, they initially talked about how after his injury, they didn't put him on IR right away, but after a couple weeks, he's going to have to go under. He's going to have to undergo season-ending neck surgery. Uh, he apparently had gotten to the point where he couldn't even turn his head at home and this neck injury sounds severe the surgery is serious it's it's a no joke surgery and right away i saw reports that people around him expect him to have to retire uh his agent released a statement
1: similar to what happened
2: to nick collins uh
1: who yes. is also a packer
2: yeah and he, nick collins did have to retire i believe he did yeah uh to give a sentence here of his agent's statement that was released. He said, once surgery has been completed, Jermichael has every intention of resuming his football career and we fully support his efforts to do so. Uh, Okay. idea. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I know it's what you love to do. I know it's how you make a living, but if he can come back, you know what? Actually the number one comment on this article says it, really well it says get healthy take care of yourself if you could still play football afterward that's just a bonus I think that's how he's got to feel about it this way uh it sounded like he was terrified when this first happened so the fact that I mean life goes on after football and if he has to retire just retire I mean it's easy for me to say but you got to think about your health uh people have CTE stuff like that and that's no joke either don't mess with your neck. I mean, that's such a scary, scary injury. And I don't know. I, I don't like – I when I heard he was going to retire, I felt bad for the guy. But I thought, okay, he's thinking of his future. And to read that statement and say he has every intention of resuming his football career, that made me a little worried for the guy. So I hope, hopefully he gets better. And if he can play without any risk of injury, then I'm sure the Packers will welcome him back. But Yeah, get well. Yeah, get well, exactly.
1: All right, we are going to take a break and probably come back with Artie Lang.
0: (laughs) How do I look? Why did comedians get good looking? This fucking group is awful. (laughs) I'm not good looking. We're having a good time tonight, man. I'll tell you. Life's all about timing, man. It's it's all about timing. I've had shitty timing my entire fucking life. Do you realize if I was in Las Vegas a year ago and I had a crystal ball? Do you fucking realize the odds I could have gotten if I was willing to bet that I would outlive Heath Ledger? Are you in the second verse? Yeah, come on, keep going. Keep Don't uh, up. What is the second verse? <laughs> I got it. Marty, you do it. Oh, come on. Working double time on the Listen. seduction line. She was one of a kind. All right, She's just kids. a mind on oh, my, Wanted no balls just another course. Made a meal out of me. And come back for yeah, had to cool me down to take Uh-oh. another round. Now I'm back in the ring to take another swing. Because <laughs> the wild was shaking. Hollywood Hills, with a trunk load of $100,000 bills. Man came by to hook up my cable TV. We settled
1: in for Our months. first guest is from Livingston, New Jersey, and is a two-time New York Times best-selling author. He spent eight years as a co-host on The Howard Stern Show, and is currently the host of The Artie Lang Show on DirecTV. He's a stand-up comic, an actor, and a survivor, and he is making his first appearance on the podcast today. Warm sportscasters, welcome to the legend, Artie Lang. What's up, Artie?
0: Hey, what's up, man? I was actually born in Louisiana so I grew up in Union, New Jersey. That's just a matter of pride. I had to correct that one thing.
1: Gotcha, New Jersey guy through and through. Big Springsteen fan. You know, I was uh, going through some stuff, getting ready for this, and I realized we have a you know a few things in common. We're both Italian Americans. Uh, we are both, right. we both fans of the Howard Stern show. Uh, we're both newly engaged men uh we nice. ha- we both hate a rod <laughs> and uh and uh we both cried at a michael Jackson concert
0: <laughs>
1: wow there you go yeah. that's the, a tough one to admit. no, the last one was just you, but um uh <laughs> <laughs> i' was gonna, i was gonna say I doubt that's true. <laughs> uh one thing though i i don 't know if i 'll ever well, I'm pretty sure I won't have in common with you is you know, just this thing about you being a New York Times best-selling author, and I was thinking about the way your life has turned out here, the last bunch of with how transparent it it has become, between the, the eight years on the Howard Stern Show, where you are admitting so many things on a daily basis and living such a transparent life. and, and now these two incredibly honest books that you've written are now available for the world to see eternally. And I just wonder: Have you ever have you sat down and thought about like, wow, I, I maybe have the most transparent life in America at this point now?
0: <laughs> well, within my world, in the world where I'm a celebrity, you know, uh, it's not, I'm not an A-lister, thank God, because I think that'd be even more nightmarish. But in the solid C-list celebrity world I've created, yeah, it's 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 transparent like hell. And uh, I mean, that's one of those things. You know, again, one of my heroes of stand-up was Richard Pryor, and he approached it the same way. Uh, you know, uh, every time um, he screwed up in life, his stand-up back got better. And I, uh, you know, I mean, honesty is the key to comedy, and uh, I've always tried to be honest about stuff I've done in life and about people I've met in life and how they act, and and uh, just tell the truth. You know, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. It's uh, it's good for my art if you want to put it
1: that way you know this question isn't meant to be an ego thing but i wonder if when you write a book like this and you're as honest as you are in it and you put it out is there a worry in the back of your mind that oh my god what if i just poured out my heart and soul and this book's just a failure and no one cares were you worried at all that you were setting yourself up for a little bit i mean it's the opposite obviously it's a huge success and i wonder and and you know opposite of that question is there a little bit of is there a little bit of extra pride knowing that, hey, people do care about me because this book is you. It's not just a book about a fiction that you wrote or something.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I you know, obviously the first book was an enormous success and uh, you know, when Howard wrote the forward and I plugged it on Howard every day, so there was that. I mean, that's the biggest type of plug you could get. So with this book, yeah, there was a sense of wow, you know, I'm putting myself out there now I don't have the stone show every day to plug it and uh, when it hit the bestsellers list this time, it was a real sense of pride and, and also, uh, a sentimental feeling that people do, um, you know, actually, uh, care about me to the point where they'll buy the book and, and read about my life. I have, you know, it's kind of a rare thing. I have, I have two bestsellers in the last five years and both are books about my life, which means people are interested in my life. It, it's a nice feeling, you know? Um, so, uh, Hey, what the hell? Hopefully it's helping people too you
1: know you have uh you've been on a lot of shows the last couple of weeks promoting the book, and I think you being here is proof you've been just about everywhere uh, <laughs> and uh one thing I've noticed and i've I've watched quite a bit of it is that whenever anyone talks about your time on the stern Show, one thing that frustrates me someone who was was a listener almost all those days that you were on the stern show. One thing that frustrates me is everyone wants to kind of boil it down to either how it ended or how you fought with Teddy or maybe someone else on the show. It seems like right. it seems like no one wants to talk about anything else. And there were so many moments, so many days on that show where you just totally entertained me and many other people. And I think one of my favorite moments, just to, to bring something else up for once, is uh, when you had the chance, I think it was pretty early in the run, when you had the chance to kind of sing the second verse of You Shook Me All Night Long with ACDC. And, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, just a legendary Stern Show moment. I mean, everyone in the studio was going crazy. I remember at one point Howard like tried to to quiet you, and uh, and Brian Johnson was like, no, 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 son, come back, come back, you know. And I, I was just thinking about that, and I was just, I just wanted to give you an opportunity maybe to mention some of the really great moments you had on the show. Does anything stick out as like a, a favorite moment as opposed to so many of the negative ones people are focusing on?
0: I I appreciate that, man. I mean, oh no, yeah. I mean, listen, that is true. I mean, for the first six years before the last year and a half when heroin took over, I, you know, I was a co-host on the show, and the reason I was on the show is because I could be funny, you know, and I'm proud of that, and Howard wouldn't let somebody who wasn't funny on that show, and that and that criteria is huge. Uh, You know, those moments like the ACDC thing, of course, I, I think back to, I love doing some of the impressions that were strictly stern show world impressions, like, you know, I would do Mike Tyson every once in a while or whatever, but but that, that's an impression that's for the world. I like doing like Ed Torian, the 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 the, the guy who used to give the um, the exams to see if people were telling the truth. I used to like to do Jeff the Drunk. I used to like to do uh... you know Crazy Alice. Um, I used to like to bust Chops and Eric the midget. You know, come I in that doing that voice. Was when he would give the lie detector test, and uh, you know Howard, you know, always said he loved that impression almost the most, and yeah, that was a real stern show thing where fans had to know it, and uh, you know, just being able to be like, you know, did you ever, did you ever uh, make love to Howard? Did you ever, uh, you know, uh, call ah uh, oh, She said, "I understand she's being deceptive." <laughs> you know, uh, bad to have like you know people laughing at Howard, almost crying laughing is. You know, those are my favorite moments was to do those characters,
1: you know. Yeah, like I said, I I felt so bad the last couple weeks feeling like like those moments are kind of gone. You know, one other kind of silly thing about the Stern Show is you took over for Jackie, and I remember a big joke on the show was Jackie kind of talking about how once he he left just a few days too early, because if he would have been on longer, he could have been best friends with Paul McCartney. They would have told each other jokes. And I just wondered, uh, <laughs> I just wondered, is there already equivalent to that? Do you ever sit back and say, man, if I just would have been on a few days longer, I could have been best friends with Lady Gaga or someone who's been on recently? Uh, I don't think I
0: would have been best friends with Lady Gaga. No, a, probably not. I guess I love Jackie, but I think I'm way more realistic with him. <laughs> I mean, odds are that wasn't my job on the show was to make friends with those people. I think odds are if I was in there with Lady Gaga, she'd hate me even more than she might now if she knew who I was. So... Uh, but I would have loved the opportunity to make her hate me more, put it that way.
1: <laughs> uh, last few minutes here with Artie Lang, really a huge honor for us to have him on the show. And, you know, you transitioned from being a co-host on The Stern Show to now you're in your third year at DirecTV being the host. And I remember one thing I hated was how people used to sometimes get really upset when you would be in the forefront of the interviews. They'd want you to just sit in the background, let Howard interview. Now doing your own show – three years, maybe a little bit longer. You drive the interviews. You're you're the head force. Was there adjustment in that as a a broadcaster, as a host? And uh, have you gotten to a point where you feel really comfortable with the interviews? Is it something you feel like you excel on now?
0: Well, yeah, that's a good point. The funny thing is, uh, with me on the Stern Show excelling, and then being in the forefront of the interviews, I uh, I would only do it if Howard wanted me to, or at the last year and a half when I uh, dope took over, and I would do it because I just became crazy, and Howard lost control of me, and then being completely my fault, I feel terrible about that. But now, you know, obviously I work three feet from the best guys ever done it for almost 10 years, and I, you know, you learn a lot about interviewing, and I try to just use those instincts, I mean, like a lot of people on radio, I'm just doing a bad impression of how to do an interview, you know, I, I, uh, but I love that they're sports related, and I'm a fad, and a lot of the interviews are about people in the sports world, so I just try to, you know, uh, just go by my instincts, and so far, so good, I, 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 I enjoy it way more than I thought I would, put it that way, you know. Has there been someone on the show
1: that you've been able to interview in the sports world that's been a huge moment for you personally
0: uh, uh, well yeah sure uh we've had uh, we've had a lot of people on that um that i've I've respected uh, I think uh, you know uh, one time that uh, we the last couple of weeks we uh, interviewed David Wells. And David Wells is a guy who uh, I always loved on the show. He was like a modern-day version of Thurman Munson when he was on the Yankees, you know, I loved. And, you know, that blue-collar guy. And, God, he's great. He's so honest on the air. And, uh, you know, I was a big fan of his. And he's one of the few Yankees who's ever pitched a perfect game. You know, so I'm like... Uh, you know, for my era, my generation to get to talk to David Wells and to have him be so honestly is he, he said He said, uh, you know, doing the interview, I asked the crazy questions and one one time he blurted it out. I love, I love this show. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. I, you know, because he's different and he's laid back. He's got the great life that he deserves now, enjoying his money and uh, his fame, but um, he picks and chooses where he goes. So the fact that he comes on my show once in a while, I think is great. I love David Wells. Last thing, Artie, and
1: you know, I, I don't know what, why things happen or whatever, and I don't want to try to, to theorize it here. But uh, you know, we have we've been doing this show since 2011, and around uh, January last year, we had to take a, a few month break because I was um, I, I have Crohn's disease, and I was out for a few months with that, and had to have a surgery, and had to battle back. And I think with anything in health, whether it's uh, Crohn's disease or drug addiction or whatever it is you're going through, you need to 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 find something kind of in you that that gives you the that energy to be willing to fight through it. And I'm not sure what it was for you, but I know it. it's, for me, it's been things like seeing other people do it and what you have done this last year and the way you've overcome what you have and the way that you're willing to, to put it out there and into the pages. And, I, and a similar thing is Mike McCready of Pearl Jam. I'm a huge Pearl Jam guy. He's a guy with Crohn's disease and he's been willing to, to put it out there and to talk about his struggles. And, and I know for me, wow. that's been, that's been huge. And I think what you're doing is going to be huge for people uh, who are suffering from what you did, and I just want to really thank you so much for this. I know you're doing a lot of things, and I'm not sure – I know I watched one thing, the host seemed like he didn't know who you were till a few hours before, but you've been a big part of uh, of my life for a long time, at, You know, just in, in a fan sense. I don't want to creep you out, but uh, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity, and I want to thank you on behalf of everyone who I know is out there saying – wow, thank God I already is man enough to be able to say this because it's really going to make a difference. So thank you very much.
0: Uh, thanks, man. I, that's really nice of you to say, and it makes me feel good that you say that. And I'm, I'm really happy that you're back and doing well. You're great at this. The interview has been great. And, uh, you know, listen, I, uh, I, uh, I wish you nothing but the best, and uh, I'd be happy to come back on at some point, you know.
1: Thank you so much for that. And hey, next thing, uh, let's just make sure you let's do something together to get a Rod out of here, huh? Get his purple lips yeah. and and just yeah,
0: it's he's gonna leave. He's gonna have a great life when he when he leaves baseball. He's gonna be rich enough to have time to have nothing but fun. So let's just get that started soon.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Artie. I really appreciate it. All right,
0: but you be well. Good luck. Okay.
1: All right, I want to thank Artie Lang for joining us on the podcast. That was a huge honor, and I hope you enjoyed checking it out. The greatest of all time, where Don and I declare three things from three separate categories of our own creation, the greatest of all time. Why don't you kick it off this week for us, Don?
2: All right, I'm going to start it off. I couldn't remember if you've done this one before, but if you did, I, don't, I know I didn't. But I'm going to go with the greatest Sabre of all time in light of all the recent Sabres news. And I'm going to say... And this doesn't go like what some people mean. Like if you say like this guy is a saber, you know what I mean? Like I'm not talking off the ice personal stuff. And the reason I have to preface it that way is I'm going to say it's Dominic Hasek and he didn't leave as the greatest state locker room saber or anything like that. But uh, he's the only guy to me that I think is arguably the best ever at his position. So to me that makes him the greatest saber of all time.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's got heart trophies. He's got an Olympic gold medal. Yeah, his numbers were
2: ridiculous when he was here. He was he was, he was was unreal. Uh, what, he went five
1: Veznas when he was here? Something the three crazy hard like trophies.
2: That. Yeah, uh, stuff that will never happen again because of how every goalie is kind of the same guy, it seems like, in the league nowadays. But sure, it was a different era. There wasn't as much scoring, but I still think you can argue he
1: was the best goalie ever. Uh, really, the only other player that could. Someone could argue against Hasek as pro, right?
2: Right, but I don't think anyone would make the argument that he's the best. He's not the best center ever. Center ever, right.
1: Right. So that, that to me, is what
2: separates him. I have read, I don't remember who had it. I think my brother Josh had a book that had, like, all these, the 50 best hockey players of all time, and Perot was in there, and they said that he played in a super, they call it dead puck era in hockey, like when there's not a lot of scoring. And he still manages to score a ton of goals. So maybe maybe somewhere somebody he out there... He has over 500 goals. Maybe somebody would make the argument that had he played in a higher scoring era, like when Gretzky played, maybe Perot would have been the greatest of all time. But, I mean, thats I don't think you'd get that argument. Usually the greatest player, skater of all time is Gretzky, Lemieux, or... But, Hashik, greatest Sabre of all time.
1: All right. I listened to Howard Stern... A lot. Everyone on this show knows, and we just had Artie Lang on. But the problem with Howard Stern now is he only has a show on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So what do I listen to on Thursday and Friday? Well, it's usually Opie and Anthony. Okay. And an argument they had on the show this week, they were talking about Thanksgiving. And I think it was Anthony who said that Thanksgiving is easily the greatest holiday. Okay. And I have to disagree with old Anthony there. Uh, And I will say that easily the greatest holiday of all time, with apologies to our Jewish listeners, is Christmas. And I don't know that anything is close at all. Christmas has everything you would want from a holiday. It has families. It has gifts. It has friends. It has lights. It has songs. It has movies. The food. It has food. It has absolutely everything in a holiday. Thanksgiving is only one day. Christmas is two. Thanksgiving has food with no gifts. Christmas has food but the gifts. Christmas has family. Thanksgiving has a lot of bad football games sometimes because <laughs> the Lions are always playing. And, and I uh, got to tell you, the food on th- Thanksgiving, it stinks. The traditional Thanksgiving food is brutal.
2: You know what? I'm, we had this talk.
1: Dried uh, out turkey. Off the air before. Cranberry sauce. Who wants that?
2: Yeah, I'm not a big turkey guy. I, do I want like, steak and lobster, and I eat that on Christmas. I like the rest of... Uh, Thanksgiving
1: dinner, but yeah, I'm with you. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of turkey. stuffing. It goes right in the trash for me. I don't want that. Oh, I like stuffing. Corn is just going to end up in my toilet.
2: <laughs> I'd rather have ham than turkey, and ham is
1: kind of the traditional Christmas thing, right? I just, I, I'll tell you what. In my family, we're never eating a traditional Thanksgiving dinner if I'm hosting it. And I've bought off my grandma's house the last few year's because she won't give up on it. We go out to eat instead with Tammy's family. Oh yeah, I got no time for the turkey and the cranberries and the stuffing. Yeah. So Christmas, greatest holiday of all time.
2: The greatest musical instrument of all time is the acoustic guitar. Uh, It works in every setting. It can be played classically. It can be played in a rock song. It can be played in like a soft rock song. It can be by itself. It can be part of a bigger band. It works with everything. Uh, Electric guitar by itself is loud, and I'm not sure you're going to sit there and listen to one guy play an electric guitar while singing acoustic guitar is the perfect musical instrument. You could sing while playing it. My wife wouldn't like that. I said this maybe cause she's a flute player, but she can't sing while she plays the flute. So, uh, and she likes to sing as well. So she'd have to give me that. I think it's the perfect musical instrument and it just, it sounds the best. And that's it. I don't think there's a lot of argument. I don't think
1: argument against the harp, just a little too big.
2: Harp is a little too <laughs> yeah. big, a little too, uh, I don't know, Disney sounding or something, but, uh, Cowbell? Cowbell's good. It's, it's limited in its function, though. Triangle? Triangle, I think, falls in the same cowbell category. All
1: right. Yeah, I, I like acoustic guitar there. All right. All right. Uh, another stern thing to piggyback on our Artie Lang interview earlier. Greatest whack packer of all time is Beetlejuice. And I think this is one that's really easy as well. Eric the Midget is miserable. Jeff the Drunk is a drunk uh and he's just stealing Hank the angry drunken dwarf's well, bit yeah. make Hank rest in peace Hank i think is the only one that you can really argue with but it's Beetlejuice it's Hank Beetlejuice. was pretty surly too Beetlejuice is pretty lovable Beetlejuice is lovable he's hilarious looking yeah. he's, the things <laughs> that come out of his mouth are unpredictable and hilarious he's got a sensitive side which was shown when Hank the An- angry drunken dwarf died and Beetlejuice was crying right in the right air. right i mean beetlejuice is everything you want you can rent beetlejuice <laughs> you know i mean you could have beetle I'm, I'm gonna have a stag soon my brothers they could get beetlejuice to my stag that'd be awesome you know what i mean It probably won't try not worth the money but it could happen i
2: remember looking or uh, thinking back and uh it was right in my wheelhouse the e-show because it was right as i was kind of like probably becoming an adult like a teenager or so so like it was kind of raunchy and stuff, and if you're trying to be rebellious, you you watch the E. Howard Stern show. And I remember episodes where they took a camera into Beetlejuice's apartment or whatever he lived in so they could film him. And I think this is something he did without cameras there is the impression I got. He would order Chinese food or pizza, and then he would do push uh, sit-ups naked <laughs> when the person came to the door. I, I didn't understand it, but it uh, – It was hysterical and unpredictable, like you said. So, yeah, I I don't think I'd have an argument against that either. My last thing was actually a request you sent me, and you told me that I should do the greatest board game of all time. Yeah, I I
1: couldn't believe you hadn't done it yet.
2: That's a little broad, and if I haven't mentioned it, I am a big board game dork, but I'm kind of like... I'm not all the way there, the way like a Dungeons & Dragons guy, or I have never been to a board gaming convention, so I'm going to go and because I might want to use other categories later on for future things, I'm going to say the greatest gateway game of all time. And what I mean by that is uh, my gateway game was Settlers of Catan, and that's true for a lot of people. Once you play that game, you'll realize, wow, there's there's games out there that uh, I may not have heard of that are really good. They're not necessarily difficult. I don't have to be some guy in a costume playing Dungeons & Dragons. There's in-betweens Monopoly and Dungeons and & Dragons out there, and they're really good games. I'm going to say the greatest gateway game of all time is Ticket to Ride. Uh, it's not my favorite game. It's You're making trains, uh, and you're trying to complete these train routes from one place to another. But the beauty of it is it's totally elegant in the rules, and it's super simplistic. I think there's three rules. You either draw trains... You build a train, or you draw new destination cards, and that's it. It's a board game that can show people that there is stuff beyond Monopoly and uh Clue, Clue, and any roll-to-move game. Once you graduate past roll-to-move, which is a horrible, horrible game mechanic because it's 100% luck-based and does nothing else. Life is another example. Roll to move, even though it's not a dice, it's a wheel. You'll get past that into better games once you discover games like Ticket to Ride. And I I think it's just the easiest game to teach. It's the easiest one to pick up. Part of the problem is Settlers of is a really easy game to teach if somebody knows how to play. When I bought it, nobody knew how to play. Right. So I was there that day. Even though the game is super super simple once you know how to play, it still took us probably a good hour. Yeah, we were
1: watching YouTube videos. Yeah, to figure yeah. out
2: how to play it, which might which feels crazy now knowing how easy it is to play, but uh You'd never have that issue with Ticket to Ride. It's a perfect gateway game into more serious board games.
1: So Ticket to Ride is the marijuana of board games? Is that yes. What
2: saying? yes. A- absolutely. It's uh, I think it's a must-own for
1: anybody with a, with a board game collection. So yesterday, 11, 12, 13, I woke up, went outside, had a candle. It was really hard to hold, and I was really frustrated in the cold, cold November rain and it made me realize that the greatest song (laughs) with a month in the title is absolutely Guns N' Roses' epic November Rain, Uh, just narrowly edging out Collective Soul's December. December, Uh, Some other ones that I kind of looked out there, there's A Long December by Counting Crows, Fourth of July by Soundgarden, Uh, August 7th by John Bon Jovi, December Song by George George Michael, Uh, End of May, by uh, Michael Buble for
2: people in that. There's a Jonathan Colton song. He's like a nerd guitar-playing kind of comedian guy called The First of May.
1: October by U2. Okay. U2 also has a uh, Fourth of July song.
2: Counting Crows have an album called August and Everything After, but I don't believe there's a title song on there.
1: Uh, What else do we got here? We got some September stuff. September Sun by Typo Negative, which is really tough, but probably wouldn't be... On anyone's list. What is that Green Day Wake song? Wake me up when September Is that ends. what it's called? Yeah, it's a great joke every October yes, yes. <laughs> to find out if anyone woke up. The guy from Green the Day. The guy from Green Day yet. But right. without a doubt, it's that cold, cold November rain, which doesn't last forever. The best, the greatest song of all time with a month in the title. Huh. So for me today, I have the greatest holiday of all time. It's Christmas. The greatest whack packer of all time is Beetlejuice. And the greatest song with a month in the title of all time November rain.
2: My greatest Buffalo Saber is Dominic Hasek. The greatest musical instrument is the acoustic guitar, and the greatest gateway board game is Ticket to Ride.
1: All right, we'll be right back with a quick book club update. All right, just want to real quickly update the book club. Three books in November being featured for our book club, Books of the Month. Uh, First book is Monsters, the 1985 Chicago Bears and the Wild Heart of Football by Rich Cohen, which I noticed the other day was the number one sports book in iTunes. Ah. So the book's got a little bit of buzz. It's about the 85 Bears. And Don and I thought it would be a cool book to check out in light of us loving Jeff Perlman's book sweetness as much as we did right a couple of summers ago and uh jeff perlman has a new book called showtime about the 1980 lakers which i'm sure will be the book club book of the month when it comes out in february uh also this month in a couple of weeks actually in a couple of days i will be in dallas texas standing on the x getting my picture taken where jfk's brains were unceremoniously blown out of the back of his head by Lee Harvey Oswald, and an expert on that assassination is a guy named Larry Sabato from... The That's uni-
2: a thing, huh? You could stand on the X?
1: Yeah, get your picture taken. Wow. And I will do it. Hmm. And I will tweet it from at sports underscore <laughs> uh, Larry Sabato runs the history department at the University of Virginia, and he has a very big book, which Don is about 175 pages through right oh, now, yeah. called The, COVID- the Kennedy Half-Century, The Presidency, Assassination, and Lasting Legacy of John F. Kennedy. And Mr. Sabata will be on the 25th-ish or something like that, whenever our show is that week, to talk about his book and the 50 years since the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And as featured last week on the show, which you can find at www.sports-casters.com or on iTunes or Stitcher, The Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling by David Shoemaker, who was very kind to join us on the show last week to talk about his excellent, expansive book on wrestling. And in the interview, David mentioned he's good buddies with a sports writer from Grantland named Brian Curtis, who's also been on the show before. And I reached out to Brian and uh, mentioned to him that I would really liked a piece he did for Grantland that was an oral history on the 1989 World Series. And he wrote back to me, Don, and said, Hey, I just saw David last night. We had a book party for him, and he mentioned how much fun he had on the show. So oh, that's nice. That's cool. Yeah. So thanks to David. And if you love professional wrestling, make sure to check out his book, The Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Professional Wrestling. We are going to take a break and come back to talk about what has happened in the first couple of weeks of the NBA season with our friend Tass Mellis. Well we're moving on now. We're moving on now. All right, our next guest is originally from Toronto, Ontario, but is now living in Atlanta, Georgia, where the former Basketball Jones podcast has been reincarnated as the Starters and airs on NBA TV each day, Monday through Friday. I think uh, he is making his fourth appearance on the show today. Warm sportscasters, welcome to Tass Mellis. What's up, Tass?
3: Hey Steve, how are you doing? You're correct, Monday through Friday on NBA TV.
1: Monday through Friday, at NBA TV. My goodness, look at you guys.
3: Tell me about. Yeah, things are going. Yeah, things are going okay.
1: Tell me about it a little bit. So you start this show because this is the kind of thing that really interests us a lot, you know. So you start this show, uh, the Basketball Jones, and then you guys are are up in Canada there, which you know is interesting as it is because you know, if you're, oh Canada, it must be about you know hockey. And it's not; it's about basketball. And then you guys, you guys, you guys are are on the score, the score. And then Grantland, we we got we got to know you through Grantland. And then NBA TV. How, how did it come up? How did you guys make the make the jump? And tell us a little bit about all that.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, in in Canada, we uh, kind of got sick of all the the hockey heads and uh, decided to start a basketball show. Uh, it started in about 2006, beginning in 2006. And we sort of just buried our heads, and um, you know, there were definitely no calls uh, for several years. Um, but we were passionate about the show that we were doing, uh, you know, working with uh, Skeets and and JD, and then and then Matt joined a few later, a few years later. Uh, it was just it was more of a passion, and uh, we loved it, and and thought that it would go somewhere. You know, right from the beginning, when you know we were getting emails from like hong kong i remember one specific one that you know said that they loved their show and that uh they loved ball just as much as us and they could tell how much we enjoyed it um, you know it kind of spurs you on a little bit to to do the show even, even despite doing it for no money so uh, eventually some st- people started to take notice and someone at the score uh took notice and it took us a while but we jumped on there and then we got a little bigger at the score with uh bringing on lee ellison and, and trey kirby um as our blog editors so there were six of us and um uh, you know, we, we made the move uh, this past summer to NBA TV where it's only such a natural natural relationship because, you know, we're hardcore hoop heads uh, and the NBA uh, is all we talk about. And, uh, you know, the NBA is obviously forward-thinking in terms of having a, uh, a podcast, which is, you know, also a, a television show and knowing that you don't necessarily need to have only former players talk the game and know the game. But uh, to hear something from a, a fan's perspective, um is, is worthwhile and um they're obviously for a thing in terms of the web and social and all that so we fit in perfectly and uh yeah daily show is what we've been doing for years and now we're doing it for nba tv and uh again i think it's a match made in heaven and uh things have been going uh pretty well thus far you know we were only about 10 episodes in because uh, we started at the beginning of the season but uh yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind moving down here this summer, and you know, getting here at the end of September and then getting a show ready for the end of October. It's been uh, it's been fun, but uh, Atlanta has been very, very good that.
1: Yeah, I was just going to ask you how you guys fitting in in, in hot Atlanta there.
3: Yeah, it's uh, you know, people are like, oh, well, the culture shock. You must going going down to the South must be culture shock, but uh, it really hasn't been. I mean, uh, first of all, the weather is fantastic. There's no. Uh, no complaints there because it's just a little bit better than Toronto, um, and uh, you know everybody is is just so polite down here. It's very much like we're in Canada. People hold do- doors open all the time. Uh, it's uh, there. There really hasn't been a culture shock. It's been uh, it's been really smooth, and and uh, Turner Sports NBA TV have been uh, very accommodating. I know it sounds like I'm playing the tune the company horn here, but uh, everything has just been has been pretty smooth. You know, for us to get a show. Up and off the ground within a few weeks of getting down here, it's uh, it's telling of, of you mm-hmm. know the the network here, and uh, yeah, we're pretty pumped.
1: What kind of basketball city is Atlanta? Because I know it's a it's a miserable baseball city. I mean, they don't even sell out playoff games for ninety win teams, and it wasn't a good hockey city, which you know, whatever, probably not their fault. And uh, I mean, I guess the Falcons. I don't know, but that's the NFL. How 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 have you felt about it as a basketball city?
3: I mean, I'm gonna you know say this as somebody who's only been down here a month, but you know, watching the NBA um, and watching you know sports uh, continent wide, it's it's a city that has a lot of transplants. People have moved here from all over, so I don't think there's a, a huge tie to either the Hawks. Uh, you know, to the Falcons to a degree, or the Thrashers once upon a time, or the Braves. You know, the the Braves are sort of the country's team. Um, you know, because right. you know they were broadcast nationally. It's. I don't think there's a huge tie um, either with the Braves or the Hawks uh, here, I, unless unless they're you know winning, which I definitely think the Hawks are on the, the right track. I'm not. I don't see them selling out, um, but uh, I think the Hawks are definitely a playoff team and. And uh, yeah, it's a shame. You know, we got down here right before the baseball playoffs, and I was shocked uh, to know that the Braves weren't selling out. I mean, as a as a kid growing up, I was a Jays fan. Where they beat the Braves, and the Braves had this incredible uh, his tradition of winning. Um, it was uh, I, I thought it was an incredible baseball city. But uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a little startling um, to know that. They're not selling out, but again, I think the Hawks are moving uh, in the right direction. But uh, as of right now, not uh, not on top of the Atlanta sports list.
1: <laughs> All right, let's get into it a bit here. So we're about eight games into the NBA season, and I just like let me check this out. Let me look at the standings. Let me see how things are going. And I got to tell you, the very first thing that jumped out to me is oh it's my god. Be nice. Well, that was the second thing. We'll get to that. The first thing was the Spurs. It's like these guys are seven and one again. Like this team, because all you ever hear is, "All right, the Spurs are having a great year," but this is it. They're just too old, and you know this is going to be the end. So, you know, hopefully they can get this done. And they didn't win it. And I know we're only eight games in, but it's just like seven and one again. You know, I don't know.
3: No, no, it's true. And I'm glad you're talking about them because they don't get enough publicity, uh, and and people are actually taking it for granted that they're seven and one. Again, uh, and people aren't really looking at it. It's great that you notice that, uh, because the average basketball fan definitely is not noticing. It's uh, it's incredible, and you know, coming down here to NBA TV and talking with uh, you know former Spur and Brent Barry, um, he is uh, you know always sort of toots the the horn of Greg Popovich and that in that organization and how they make basketball so easy, um, and how they have sort of a, uh, a collegiate type of mentality and structure where. I mean, if you don't fit in, um, you're gone, and uh, you've got to fit into the system. And, yeah, you say guys are old, but they're they're also just bringing along young players. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is going to be a star. They stole him uh, from the Indiana Pacers. And, uh, you know, obviously Tony Parker's not ancient quite yet. And then, you know, guys like Danny Green and other steals from uh, uh, the Cavs organization. They play basketball really simply. Uh, They shoot the three ball, um, and they just... They just pass it so beautifully. I mean, they make they get easy shots. Uh, it's just a, a fantastic system. And, uh, I mean, as far as how ancient they are, you know, Timmy is, Tim Duncan's still looking good um, despite his old age. He had to go out with a, a chest contusion uh, last week, which, uh, you know, was kind of a sign of old age, I thought, uh, when I saw that happen. But, uh, I mean, it is an incredible, incredible team uh, to watch and how they sort of. Like Brent Perry uh, told me, it's just like how easy they make the game, uh, especially on the offensive end.
1: You mentioned the Pacers, and obviously seeing Indiana at 8-0, the only team left in the league undefeated. They're going to be the last uh, undefeated team in the league this year. And I, I heard something pretty amazing, I think yesterday I heard this, that LeBron James in Vegas is obviously the odds-on favorite to win the MVP. If you wanted to place a bet, he, he would give you the worst odds. The second... Odds are, are for Paul George in Indiana. Tell me a little bit about this Pacers team and, and what makes them so good. And Obviously, anyone who was paying attention to the playoffs knows that they really pushed that that Heat team, the eventual champions, last year. And, and maybe a couple breaks, they might have been able to win that series. But tell me about what, this team and, and what makes up this 8-0 team in the great start. And
3: Yeah, I think it's uh, they've got sort of a, a like-minded uh, strong organization like the Spurs do, uh, you know, to see them take the heat to seven games in the conference final and, and the confidence they have and, and the confidence that's rolled into this season, uh, it's you notice it right off the bat. I mean, everybody from you know head coach Frank Vogel to their top players and Paul George and Roy Hibbert, it's evident that they think that they can win the championship. And um, so, it's, so it starts from high up. It starts from even even Larry Bird and Johnny Walsh in, in the front office. Uh, this team is something to be reckoned with, and you know Paul George was sort of thrust into the starting lineup last year when Danny Granger went out, uh, and he looked sort of lost on the offensive end. He didn't know what was going on at times. He didn't have the confidence back then, but it seemed to be a blessing in disguise that this guy, uh, who Larry Bird, you know, about a year and a half ago said, "We're going to go as far as Paul George," Paul George takes us, and Paul George, you know, was just a shell of what he is now at that point. And then he was thrust into the starting lineup. Uh, and, and into, uh, you know, a, a star role because Dan Granger was out and he learned on the job last year uh, to go along with his fantastic defense. The offense came along. He started taking big shots in the playoffs. so It was a bit of a coming out party against the Heat in the conference finals for him offensively. And now yeah, he should be, uh, you know, up there in MVP voting this season as well uh, because he does it on both ends. Offensively, he looks better. He still has to get slightly better at ball handling. But uh, him, along with Roy Hibbert, uh, you know who anchors the defense who could easily be defensive player of the year and looks to be uh holding the you know the cards in, in that race right now uh it's it's they 're fantastic i mean those two guys they're two stars who are sort of a little bit a little bit like the spurs you know they 're in a smaller market so they 're a little under un unheralded uh and you know just aren't reported on as much as a lot of the bigger-name teams. So um, they're great. There's a reason they took the Heat to seven games. They obviously have that size advantage over the Heat. Um, that's why the, the Heat win signed Greg Oden. But, uh, you know, they're going to be there in the end. And this ain't no start. Um, you know, it's a little bit surprising because, you know, they only won 49 games last year. Um, but, you know, they came out to play in the playoffs, and people thought, oh, maybe this is just the playoff team. But uh, George has, has definitely improved. Um, from last season, and that's telling. So is Lance Stevenson, and their bench has gotten a hell of a lot better. So it's it's a strong, strong team, you know, all the way through to the second unit.
1: You know, one of the other things that I've been noticing, is it's it's just getting on the radar, there's a lot of buzz, is coming into the season the Celtics were one of those teams that uh, people were saying, you know, fans of the Celtics are saying, it's going to be a bad year, let's just be really bad, let's see if we can make a run at Wiggins, This is going to be a great NBA draft, it's the right year to be bad and they're 4-4 four and four right now, and it's, it's very early, obviously, but it seems like the job that Brad Stevens is doing there is getting a lot of buzz, and I was just wondering if you've picked up on anything or heard anything about what's going to make this guy a great fit in the NBA, or do you think this is maybe just the kind of classic overreaction to a new coach comes in, gets a big road win in Miami, and now we're going to anoint him maybe prematurely?
3: Oh, uh, Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, they shouldn't have won that Miami game so, you know, it it's a free throw at the end uh they don't win it and maybe there isn't this buzz about brad Stevens. but you know watching them play um they just they play harder than other teams and that's how they're going to get wins uh you know they don't have a ton of talent um but you know even before the season you'd look at it and say oh, they are sort of an average uh nba team in terms of talent they don't have a star right now because rajon rondo is out um but they outwork you, and I think Brad Stevens has to get a ton of credit for that. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what Brad Stevens is going to be. I think it's it's too early to tell, but um, you've got a young team working for him, uh, which is uh, you know a, a great sign, only eight games in. Um, and, and I think they are going to win a bunch of games on a Tuesday, or Wednesday night in Charlotte when they're going to outwork a team. Uh, so, uh, you know, for them – uh, you know, looking at their schedule coming up, they could be close to 500 when Ron Rondo comes back in early December, and that means they could possibly you know be knocking on the door for a playoff spot, which is crazy. Um, you know, because exactly what you said was right about preseason. Everybody thought this team wasn't going to be good, and uh, the fact is they're they're working hard. Um, they do have some talent on that team. And uh, Stevens has to be given credit um, for being four and four. And I think Rajon Rondo, when he comes back, is is obviously going to help this team um, because they're playing well defensively, and maybe he can sort of drag their drag their offensive ranking up because that's where they're uh, they're struggling right now.
1: You know, I mentioned uh, the draft and how big of a draft it's going to be, and it seems like maybe Utah is trying to position themselves early. Uh, but one thing I'm wondering about, not as much next year's draft, is when you look back at the last. You know, three or four drafts, and the guys that were the big prizes, the the John Walls, the first pick in the last three, four, or five years, first couple picks, is there any guys that you're looking at this year say, okay, this is a year this guy's going to make a really big jump from, not just a guy the teams were excited to be able to draft, but now a guy, teams are going to be excited that this, is, this guy's on our team and he's going to be able to take this team to a place we didn't imagine when we were positioning
3: for the lottery that year? Oof. No, no one really jumps um, into my mind at this point. Uh, I mean, Anthony Davis was the number one pick last year, and he's taken the league by storm this year. I didn't expect it to happen this early, but he is like a transcendent talent. I mean, he is—he's a big that they're setting downscreens for like he's a guard like come off this down screen we're playing a little flex offense you come up to the wing and hit a jumper like like he's six foot four but i mean he's obviously 6'11 everyone thought he was going to be great you know blocking shots and rebounding which he is but he's also able to shoot which is incredible he's like 45 percent from the mid-range which is you know better than a guard um and he can he can put it on the floor so uh he he's easily uh the leader. For the Most Improved Player Award, uh, which is a weird award because you know it's a second-year player, he should get better. Nice. Um, but uh, I think uh, I, I think he's up there. Um, somebody who kind of came out of nowhere for the Suns is Marquise Morris. Uh, he's been playing well. Um, that whole Suns team, I'm sort of enamored with because uh, Eric Bledsoe, who's a guy um, you know a lottery pick, but um, this, the Clippers. Wanted to get better. Uh, they had Chris Paul, so they, they traded Eric Bledsoe, as their backup point guard. Now he's with the Suns. The Suns decided not to extend him um, before October thirty the October thirty first deadline, so he's going to be restricted free agent this coming offseason. Nobody really knew what they were getting with Eric Bledsoe, and I guess the Suns were waiting as well. Um, but he's playing like he deserves a max contract. That team is five and two. That's another team like the Celtics. That we're supposed to be uh, in the league's basement. So uh, you know, Bledsoe is I love how he just shows up for fourth quarters. You know, that's telling of a of a superstar. He plays D. Uh, uh, you know, like like Jeff Hornacek wants him to. Like with a lot, he's always done. He always disrupts the other team. So he's uh, he's really shown me uh, a lot. Yeah. So you know, Bloodsouls, Anthony Davis have been obviously the ones that that stand out. Marquise Morris come kind of out of nowhere, averaging twenty the last little while. Uh, the Suns are. The Suns are something to watch and I'm pretty pumped for them.
1: You know, I'm always really curious about Blake Griffin. I'm kind of an OU guy and he's one of the very few, if not the only OU uh, players in the league. And um I heard some, some early early kind of disappointments about where his game was at in the beginning of the season, especially that Lakers game on opening night. I you know, and I don't know, maybe that's just a bad night, but have you gotten a chance to see Blake? I always think about this quote, I think it was Barkley, uh, who made it during the playoffs, maybe the first time they were in it. And it, he said something like, you know, this this is a young kid who is really, really playing well, but he's not a good basketball player yet. And it was really an interesting point. And I just wonder if you think he, he's grown into his talent, if he's he's living up to his potential, if he is disappointing a little bit. Where is Blake Griffin at in his fourth year here?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, yeah, I mean, he missed his first year, and then he sort of came out of nowhere um, And how – like with you know obviously his athleticism, and I think the expectations got a little too high right away because you know we saw him at 12 feet flying over the rim all the time. So um, you have to remember he's a young player and that his skills needed a couple of years to develop. Uh, I, I think he's sort of waiting in games a little bit more to be more of a fourth quarter player because he's sort of developed the reputation of being a first first quarter and first half player and then sort of fading. Um, I don't think his skill set has gone down. It's only gone up. Um, he does have a post game, but he's not assertive enough in his post game. He doesn't. He doesn't take guys on the block and put them on his butt and score. And, and you know, being a sort of an undersized four uh, at the power four position kind of plays into that because he does. Uh, he does have guys that are a couple inches taller guarding him, uh, so he's a bit of a smaller player there the, the jump shot hasn't developed as much as it should, you know, it the ideal if you had a, you know, Carl Malone is sort of the ideal for that. Um, but you know, he's developing, I, I, you know, it's, he hasn't been incredible. He hasn't been overwhelming. Um, but I think he's sort of, I mean, the dunks are still there, but he's, I think he's sort of slowly trying to be more of a fourth quarter player, which, which is what he should be. Um, and, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not worried quite yet. I mean, it is real early. Still in his career. I mean, we should see some a little bit more development. But at, uh, you know, by the end of the season. But I, I still think the skill set is there. I don't think that's going uh, anywhere. I and mean, you know, Blake is. I think he. I think he loves the game. I I'm not really worried about him. I think he's. He's into it. I think he wants to be uh, a great player in the league.
1: The sports guests are here with Tass Malus from the Starters on NBA TV. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at T-A-S-M-E-L-A-S. A -A Uh, a lot of people often have said, for them, the NBA season starts on Christmas. You know, they always have this big quadruple header on Christmas, and it's all these big-name teams, big marquee matchups, really a made-for-TV event for the league. And maybe that's a day where, where the casual NBA fan takes a break from the football. It's not quite bowl season yet, and they really focus on the league and where the league's at at that point. What are some things that you're going to look to develop between now and then in the league? What are going to be the big storylines as we get through this first month or two and get closer to Christmas? What do you, what are you as the hardcore NBA guy, what are you looking to see happen here these first couple of months? What are the things you're tracking?
3: That's a good question. I mean, I think the the Heat are going to, you know, they're sort of still a bit monstrous storyline, um, how they're going to... Deal with sort of uh, you know the third. Season. They've been to the finals three years in a row. It's tough to to be a, an elite team where teams are coming at you night in and night out. Their you know twenty seven game winning streak last year uh, was incredible. They're going to lose a lot of those games, and how the the media and fans react to that is going to be interesting because they're not going to be. I don't think they're going to win sixty six games uh, like they did last year. Um, so you know how they sort of react, deal with um, just the sort of some of those games that you know midweek games that um that come about and, and sometimes when they don't get a victory like against those Celtics how how they react to it how they deal with it internally and, and how we all deal with it's going to be interesting um you know Kobe Bryant coming back and uh, the Lakers is always uh exciting you know his actually his Twitter account uh, says 1225 right now um people thinking that he may be back on christmas day um and and you know there's all that talk uh you know it seems like you know and his twitter avatar is, is just entirely black because you know he's basically sort of gone into uh to work mode it's going to be interesting to see him come back it's always interesting you know he had an incredible year last year even at his age and um it's going to be weird to see him mortal and not not the basketball player that he once was. So it's going to be uh, a hell of a storyline watching him come back and, yeah, the talk again that he'll be part of one of those five Christmas Day games, which are always fun. Uh, you know, with the Lakers, too, watching Steve Nash sort of hobble up and down the court um, and how he comes along uh, because it's it's a struggle uh, watching him play. Uh, you know, I've always been a fan of his, and whos not who hasn't been a fan of his, but he's had a big effect on home basketball and and my basketball watching experience the last decade so uh, how he comes along will be interesting Um, and you know Derek Rose and the Bulls and how they sort of come along and and the you know the Durant and Westbrook uh, in the West are interesting um, because I think they're the best team in the West and how they sort of match up with everybody I think they people i have a short memory when it comes to sports and you know they're top five in offense and defense last year and then russell goes down so they're out in the second round but they're way better than that uh russell is a huge part of that so to watch them and teams like the clippers and the rockets and how they evolved because uh you know you mentioned blake uh the team is not uh, a very good defensive team right now it's, it's odd to see they've got all these names um, and they win games, but their defense isn't that good right now. So, you know, watching them, and, and the same goes for the Rockets. Do they have, like, do they want to be good, um, you know, defensively? Are they going to show up with an attitude every night? It, it isn't happening right now. So Rockets and Clippers are uh, two teams that you kind of watch and and wonder where they're going to go from here because they're not, uh, you know, what everyone sort of pumped them up to be. Preseason, along with the Warriors, who you know are ridiculously fun to watch. As an East Coaster here, they keep me up on on uh, on the late nights on on the, while they're playing on the West Coast. You know because the games start here right. at like ten thirty, but but they're so fun to watch. Um, they're the league pass team of the year for sure. Um, they're incredible with Andre Iguodala. Uh, so it, you know those those few teams which are sort of knocking on the door of the Spurs and the Thunder at top the West. You know the Clippers, Rockets, and Warriors are. Uh, are pretty intriguing along with the Lakers and uh, in the East. You know who challenges the Heat, Bulls, and Pacers. It's uh, it's interesting. And New York is always fun. I mean, I basically just named off every team in the league, but you know, the New York, New York, New York, and Brooklyn are always uh, intriguing storylines um, because the Knicks. The Knicks so popper is you know everybody revels in that, and and Brooklyn's been average despite having all those names on their roster. So uh, we got we got a lot of storylines happening uh, in the in the league.
1: What was your finals pick?
3: My finals pick was the Thunder to get there and uh, take care of the Heat um, because it's just hard to win three in a row, and and, uh, I think the Heat still are good enough, and they you know have to deal with. The Pacers, I mean, have to have three tough rounds, tougher rounds than they have. You know, second round will be against, you know, whoever it is, the Nets or Bulls or somebody. Um, And then, you know, I think they can still get to the finals. But I think the Thunder are the best, the best team in the league. I know it's crazy to say that without James Harden, but um, I still think uh, I still think they're there.
1: Why don't you uh, lay it all out for us? Where to find everyone? Where to find the show? All that stuff because it's new and different and just make sure all our listeners know so they can check out the new, the new show on NBA TV there.
3: Sure, appreciate it. It's, uh, so our website is nba.com slash the starters and uh, our television show is on at 6 Eastern in the U.S. daily uh, Monday to Friday on NBA TV and um, we actually live stream the show the same show a little earlier in the day, 12 PM Eastern. Uh, and you can jump at, uh, jump over to nba.com slash the starters to, uh, to watch it live or nba.com slash live for, you know, we take tweets and we, we talk ball every single day and, uh, it's a pretty good time. So, uh, yeah. And then it's broadcast later on in the day, it's, uh, daily. So we never, we never miss a thing. And, uh, yeah, you can you know follow me at Tass Mellis on Twitter and, uh, yeah, or hashtag the starters, and uh, yeah, really pumped for this NBA season.
1: Well, congratulations to all the success. No big surprise to Austin fans since the beginning, and thank you so much. Not the beginning of the podcast, but beginning since we knew you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't want to don't wanna try to take credit as like an OG basketball Jones guy, you know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> th- thank you so much for the time. We always appreciate it. All right, Steve. No problem. <laughs> All right, I want to thank Artie Lang and Tass Mellis for being on the podcast today. I want to thank you for checking us out. You can always find our work at our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters, and you can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. We're always anxious to hear what you think about our greatest of all time picks, and we're curious what nominations or declarations, as we call them, you might want to make in whatever categories are important to you. Don't forget next week, Katie Baker will be on us on with us from Russia, and Jack McDowell will continue our Pearl Jam Superfan Series just a few days after I come back from Dallas and Oklahoma City. Pearl Jam show is number 77 and 78 for me. All
2: right, one more thing for me this week, and it's going to be local again, and it's going to be to express uh, maybe a little fear or trepidation. I don't know what the word is for it, but that Bills-Pittsburgh game, And I will say, I know EJ came back. I know there's going to be some rust, but that Bill's Pittsburgh game sure felt like, uh, Trent Edwards or Trent Edwards is a good example. Uh, It sure felt like Trent Edwards coming back from injury and not this rookie with a big arm and all the physical tools that he should have. Every pass in that game was a check, check down, check down, check down. There were so many passes to the running back or tight end. It was unbelievable. Uh, this is a Pittsburgh team that is not the scary steel curtain defense that they've been known for. This is a Pittsburgh team, even in Pittsburgh that was ripe for the picking and EJ Manuel looked like a game manager. And I don't want him to be a game manager. I want him to come out throwing. They played super aggressive with Jeff tool against Kansas city, a defense that's much better in a quarterback. That's much worse. Uh, why change the game plan for EJ Manuel? And if the game plan wasn't changed, then why is EJ Manuel not taking shots deep? I, I don't believe there were any shots taken more than say 20 yards down the field. And Jeff tool took at least four or five and every team should be taking four or five shots down the field just because at worst it's picked, but it works out like a punt. And at best you, you catch it or you draw a pass interference. And, the Bills have speedy receivers, uh, and the one thing they can do is get open deep, and in a game that at some, some point got away from the Bills a little bit, they were still checking down to running backs, checking down to tight ends, and that scares me about EJ Manuel, especially because I don't know if this team has the guts to draft another first-round quarterback next year, but... If this is what I'm going to see out of Manuel for the last half of the season, I want them to draft a quarterback in next year's draft class, which is supposed to be phenomenal. So I'm fine with one and done. I'm not going to consider it a wasted pick. Every pick is wasted until you have a quarterback. So I either want to see more out of EJ Manuel or I want to see them draft another quarterback next year. And it's one game that did it for me, but that's all I needed. That game felt like Trent Edwards coming back from injury.
1: I would just say, in response to that, why were they punting so much?
2: I, I don't know. Uh, that's when we got uh, Doug Marone, and he was kind of a. There's like
1: 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they're inside the 45 yard line of the Steelers, yeah, and they're I, punting. I Doug
2: Marone was supposed to be this Chip Kelly light, you know, like we didn't get the super uh, modern guy in Chip Kelly, but we got Doug Marone, who's got a lot of similar qualities and. He punts just as often on fourth and three from the 50, and where well, you should never be punting. I just
1: hope that that game you mentioned against Kansas City where he was very aggressive and how badly being that aggressive sort of turned out didn't cause him to scale back.
2: Yeah, but it wasn't the aggressive. Scale back. No, I, I totally agree. And I know he's getting beat up a little bit for the play. Like why even have Jeff Toole throw the ball on that play that got... Pick sixth. Well, Stevie Johnson was wide open, so that wasn't your play call that messed up. You got to have a little more faith in Manuel. But it, what
1: happens if in Pittsburgh, on that fourth down where he punts, EJ throws a pick six? Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I personally I,
2: don't care. There are two and uh, I wouldn't three care and either. I, and
1: my point wasn't to debate it, but more I hope that because of him getting killed for I totally, being aggressive, I, that hasn't caused him to scale back. I totally agree, and I hope that's not it. All right, one last thing for the show today, which has been a really memorable one, and I want to thank everyone who's ever been a part of this show for making it possible to be here still. Season 3, episode 33. And to be able to have a guy like Artie Lang on the show, which was a huge, huge, huge thrill for me. And I want to thank Artie and, again, everyone who's been a supporter of the show. Uh, The one last thing, though, is Western New York and Southern Ontario kind of lost a, a hidden gem in the community. A guy named Iron Mike Benson, who way back when I was first picking up rock music was a DJ on 103.3 The Fox before it was 103.3 The Edge. And when it was 103.3 The Edge, he was let go and ended up picking up at a really cool station in between Buffalo and Toronto and St. Catharines, Ontario called 97.7 Hits FM. He's just a really cool DJ, a guy that does it right, loves music, loves all kinds of rock music, did fun things on his show like the 2 o'clock teaser where he'd play three songs and, and get callers to call in and, and try to guess how they're related, but not before they exchanged clean but clever insults at each other.
2: Okay, I was going to say, I know I remember this guy, but I can't picture That reminds me of who he is. I remember that bit. and
1: Yeah, they did that right up to the end. And uh, Iron Mike Benson got cancer and died from cancer. And I don't think I'm breaking any ground by saying cancer sucks. Uh, It's really a bust and it's sad to see Iron Mike go. But anyone who was around knows that the time he spent here uh, turned our stones into stars.